Hello, Be Significant fans. Thank you for coming back. I'm here with the ultra talented Beth Cook, and we are <laughs> just thrilled that you came to, to talk to us today. Uh, Beth, how are you today? I am good. Um, I'm getting ready to go to a Cubs game today, so I'm excited about that. The weather should be great. I'm having friends come over. We're going to grill on the rooftop a little bit before so that we don't overspend at Wrigley Field because Wrigley Field now is posh with the rickets adding all of the bells and whistles to the stadium now. And so it's like $75 for a hot dog, which I will still partake in a lot of their delights. But we figure if we could fill up a little bit, yeah. we're going to do that pregame. It's like, a, what do they call it? Like when you go to the football game? Tailgate. Yeah, we're going to do that for a baseball game. That's smart. <laughs> gonna, yeah. What about you? Uh, well, my brother is here. He came into town with a friend and he's staying with us for a couple of days. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you an idea what it's like to have kids. Um, what it's, what it does, not so much what it, being a parent is, but what it does to your system. So my brother's here and we, you know, we don't get to see each other very often. So we're, we, we went golfing yesterday and we came home and the kids went to bed and my wife went to bed and, and we just were, we were watching the Smartless tour on HBO and we were laughing and, and we turned it off and we were both going to go to bed and we, we got talking about something, talking about high school baseball for crying out loud all the things and we look up and we look at our watch and it's 1 30 in the morning oh my gosh and i'm like what the heck am i doing we got to go to bed so i go to bed i go to bed about one you know 1 30 1 45 and i'm so old and so uh past my prime that my brain you know has been getting up at 6 a.m for so long that I'm wide awake at six o'clock. I went to bed at 1.30, 1.45. Wide it's awake. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm going, why? I just want to sleep. Just let me sleep. And I, so I get up and I went to the gym. Got to oh. work up. Well done. Yeah. I mean, see, that is also a sign of age. I'm going to go with wisdom to give you a little positive spin. Well, wisdom. You were. You were like, I'm going to make use of the fact that I can't sleep anymore and I'm exhausted but I'm going to go and do something productive with my time. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes just lie there and turn on the TV and be like, well, maybe one of these things will make me fall asleep. Honestly, if it wouldn't have upset all my neighbors, I probably would have mowed the lawn at six fifteen. So, <laughs> but I went to the gym instead. I was kind to do, my neighbors. Do you, I mean, again, 6am is a little early, but do you guys have um, homeowners association rules where you can do certain things? I, I'm sure we do. <laughs> I leave that you to the important them. people to know those rules. <laughs> I just, just try make sure and you don't break them. Sense. <laughs> try and just good. be a good neighbor. What would I, what would my, I want my neighbor to do to me? That's kind of how I live my life. That is fantastic. How the kid, uh, the kids picking up golf. Did, did they go golfing with you yesterday? They morning? did. Uh, we keep waiting for a spark and they have, you know, they'll hit good balls and, I'll be excited, but neither one of are really like, let's go again, you know? So Kai is a little bit more there. My, my almost 14 year old than our 10 year old. He, he will literally melt down when we're going to, before we go golf. Cause he doesn't want to go. And then he gets there and has a good time, but. That's hilarious. I was talking to my sister cause they're coming in a few weeks to Chicago and 
um, my nephew is 10 and it's going to be his first time in the big city. And so I sent him during his, for his birthday earlier in the year, a Chicago guidebook of circle things you want to do and let's take a look. And it's hilarious because <laughs> my sister's like, I can't believe that I had you. So he's so similar to me and it's so funny. <clears throat> so he came back and Jane's like, that's my sister's name. She's like, I can't believe what you want to do. He circled the most ridiculous things. So he wants to go to a Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. He wants to ride the L, which is great. Yeah. Um, he wants, and then he just a whole bunch of things eating his way through Chicago. So he's like, I want a hot dog. I want pizza. And she's like, we can do all these things, but what do you want to do? And he's like, you know, just kind of walk around the city and take it all in. You know, yeah. I want to go to these different restaurants. He also selected, which is hilarious. He wanted to go to a rooftop bar. And I was like, he's he's 10. And I was like, he wants to go to bar. He's like, I heard it had great views. And she was like, well, maybe we can go up and get a lemonade if they'll let children in there. But we'll (laughs) see. She's like, you are a child. He's like, I'm not looking to drink, mom. I just want to see the view. It said it had great views. And so I am so excited for this trip. It's going to be hilarious. So I'm going to make a little agenda. But again, kids say the darndest things. But But the reality is that is really the way to see Chicago is through the food and walking around. I mean, if you're, if you don't walk around the city and, you know, Grant Park, the pier, Michigan Avenue, I mean, if you haven't put 10, 15 miles on your shoes, when you go to Chicago, you haven't really experienced it. I agree. So we are going to be walking cool. around the city, but um, yeah, it's hilarious. Be a tour guide. He's going to own his own tour company, <laughs> travel company. He's going to do, I hope so. Cause then he would really be my mini me. I mean, he that would really be is. Genie. He's got your genes. He's, he's, <laughs> he is your mini me. That's a good way to look at it. I know this extrovert born to two introverts. So it's poor guy, poor, poor my sister and her husband. <laughs> well, the alternative of mini me is our guest today. Our, uh, we have a uh, six foot seven guest far and away our tallest guest so far, I imagine. Yes. I don't think we've had anybody. That I kind. think to date, yes. To date, yes. <laughs> we'll see if we can um, beat it. And I am, I am thrilled. Um, I, I think it's our best interview yet. Um, I think we're, we're starting to find a little bit of a role here. Hopefully, uh, people that are listening are enjoying it too. But we have Dr. Michael Malovsky, and people that don't live in the Denver, Colorado area probably have no idea who Dr. Michael Malovsky is. But he is uh, the preeminent pediatrician in our state. He's well known. He's extremely popular. Um, former Division One Ivy League basketball player. So he's just if you you saw him on the street, you'd go, "Wow, that guy's a pro- that, that guy must have been a professional athlete." Just great, huge guy. But biggest heart in the world. Um, i he's been my kid's pediatrician for ten years. She's like, okay, you're bringing your pediatrician on, Matt. Why? That's that's your interview today. This guy, I think, if he went to MIT, he would be building rockets that go to the moon. I think if he was in politics, he would be the Secretary of State. I mean, this guy is just so intelligent. I think he's he's got that genius mind. And uh, what you're about to hear, you're going to go, how does one human being do all of what he's doing? He he's really has the career of six or seven people because he's also a father of seven. And uh, any highlights, Beth, that you took away from our conversation with Dr. Dr. Michael? 
Um, I think you've, you've named a lot of it. I, I, the biggest thing, the takeaway that I had from this amazing interview was that one person just figured out a way to try to reach many, you mm-hmm. know, um, he saw a problem. He can only, he's like, I only have so many hours in a day. So how can I try to reach as many people to help? Right. And it's really about helping and educating and also giving permission to, I think a lot of parents and kids, but that it's okay not to be perfect. Yeah. And I thought those are life lessons that you can take with you anywhere that, you know, nobody can walk into your shoes and nobody understands how you're made up and what you're thinking and what you're feeling, but, you know, and it's okay, yeah. you know, and, and here's some great ways to consider options of how to work through those feelings, how to move forward, how to take other steps, how to research, how to, I mean, to solve the problem ultimately for you. Right. But he's, and then with humor too, I would say, you know, sometimes he deals with some pretty serious topics, you know, with kids that could be sick at times, you know, again, not usually when you sometimes take your kids to the doctor, it could just be a general physical, but also they could not be feeling well. And he does it all with humor you know? And so it helps. I would believe if I had children, he would make me as a parent feel good, you know, like, okay, I've got this. And I didn't, you know, mess up, but also too that, you know, how do the kids react too? you know, I think of how do you help the kids feel like it's going to be okay as well. So phenomenal. Yeah. Just a great. Yeah. I think if you're listening and you don't have, uh, you don't have adolescent children or you don't have children at all, what I what I took away from it is he just made some really logical, healthy perspectives on COVID, on mental health. And uh, we we get into marijuana and cannabis and uh, what that's doing to our our country and the good and the bad of it. You know, he's not afraid to say, "Hey, we made decisions, we made mistakes." He he owns everything. The accountability. Um, as just a physician and the things that we had to do and maybe didn't do them right. And so I think um, anybody that listens to him, you're going to go, wow, I wish every person that spoke on health came from that perspective of logic and accountability and humility. And yeah, you know, he went to school for a long time. He's been a doctor for many, many years, but he understands that if he doesn't adapt, He's failing his patients. And uh, and on top of that, he's become a TikTok star, you know, you know, and which is amazing. So uh, I'm excited. And I think you guys are going to love Dr. Michael Malofsky. Enjoy. Well, hey, Doc, great to have you. Um, We're so excited that that you decided to talk to us. I don't don't know if we're worth it, but we we appreciate you taking your Sunday morning from your office hours and all the good you're doing. Um, I'll have to adjust the camera so you can't see all my messy (laughs) office. It's good thing this is audio, so nobody. Okay, no one's seeing, no one's watching it. Okay. We'll we'll let we'll let the audience know that you're a father of seven and you're a full time pediatrician. So a little mess, I think, will be acceptable. Yeah, part of my life. Yeah. 
Don't Doc, I, I'm, I'm going to get the ball rolling for you. You know, my wife and I, we've been extremely thankful to you that we've had you these last 10 years for our two kids. Um, I'm not sure what we would have done without you. Um, you. You've calmed us and made us better parents and, you know, kind of taught us to they can they can be hurt a little bit and get dirty and they're they're going to survive they're they're basically made of rubber so we really appreciate that um i'm going to start with a question that i still can't believe is somewhat controversial but i'm going to throw it at you and, okay. and just let you kind of talk through the experience but i know through our conversations um you've last four years has been a lot of stress on you a lot of angst on you know that's come your way more than i can even imagine Yes, a lot of a lot of angst. A lot, lot of angst, yeah. and and my, I guess my question is, why did our country struggle so much with grasping the realities of COVID, and 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 what's your advice for for parents and adults and kids and you know we're we're going to run into this again. You know, this is no question. This, you know, everything I've read and everything you've told us, it's we're we're going to see this for the rest of our lives. Things mm -hmm. like COVID. So what? How do, how do we handle that? How do we deal with all that? Yeah. Well, I think the first part of the angst, why COVID was so difficult, um, is the first, when it, when it started, we knew nothing. We were literally every, the medical establishment, your doctors, no one knew anything. And yet we saw piles of bodies stacked outside in trucks. And it sort of felt like we could all at any moment be, it, it was something like out of a post-apocalyptic video game. So, and I felt it too, I'm not going to lie. Like I had to really work on managing my fear because that was the initial part of it and no one had any answers. And as, and as science progresses, science always progresses the same way, especially when we're starting from ground zero, we ask questions, we test, we, make, we backtrack, we make mistakes, information we thought was right, we learn isn't, but, but I think the, the issue with that process going on in the public eye is that that's not how people live their lives in the era of information. Meaning we're, we're used to just looking up the answer, getting the answer, we're told the answer, so then we act accordingly. But it's the way science actually works isn't like that. And, and we have what we think are answers, we learn that those answers aren't correct, or there's subtle nuance between what we said we thought we knew and what is actually the truth. It's never black and white, but we struggle with that because we're trying to make decisions along the way to keep ourselves and our children safe. And each one of those decisions we're making with partial information. And, and then when we make a decision, we learn very quickly that, well, we didn't really have all the right answers. More is revealed, but we, but I believe that none of us, and I'm putting myself in that same camp as a parent, as well as a pediatrician, handling the nuance as it is uncovered is extremely hard when you're trying to make black and white actionable choices. So you can see, and I'm leaving the political stuff out of it. Are you a Fauci guy? Do you believe Fauci, not Fauci, whatever? It, in the end, we all struggled, as did the public health community, in communicating those things to us in a way that would allow us to create actionable steps to protect ourselves and protect our children. Right. And so, of course, in the retrospectoscope and hindsight being 2020, we made a lot of mistakes. And I, I'm coming at it from the pediatric side, so I'm not going to comment on, 
on the adult medicine implications. I'm simply going to comment on the pediatric implications. And I think that knowing what we know now, it was a huge mistake to close schools. That was terrible. It's a terrible choice. And we're paying the cost in a, in a mental health sort of uh, way now in spades. But we didn't know, we didn't have all the answers at the time we had to make the choice. And we made a bad one. But what, what, what the problem was is that as more information came up and came clear, the political stuff got in the way and it wasn't, it wasn't easy to change course and make and then correct the choices based on the correct information. People just, the inertia took over, you know, institutions are made up of human beings and human beings are fallible. And so a lot of the mistakes compounded because we didn't respond based on what we ended up knowing. Well, I think what you've done during COVID and now post-COVID with your humor and your grace and your honesty and and your logic and what you've done on Instagram. And, and if anybody's not following you on your Peds at the Meadows Instagram, they need to be if, if they've got kids. TikTok is big too, Dr. And TikTok, yes. I'm not a TikTok, TikTok guy. I'll, I'll leave that to my That's dog. what gives me street cred with the high school kids. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love is that you, you get on, you video yourself, and you talk about your experiences, not only as a physician, but as a parent. And what I love is you're not afraid at the end of a video to say, I said what I said. And, and what I want to know, and, and, and this has very much been a leadership podcast. We talk about leadership a lot and careers a lot and what you can do to impact and be significant for other people. Where does your courage and conviction come from? Um. That's a great question. I, I'm gonna, I, that definitely is a multi-part answer. I'm going to say first, I've been married for almost 30 years and I was, uh, I was someone's husband and someone's dad before I was anybody's doctor. And I think that part of being married for that long is that you have to learn how to change and accept change. You have to learn how to accept criticism. You have to learn how to make someone else happy while at the same time making yourself happy. And I think that just by the process of having to do that, and believe me, it's not anyone who's been married more than a minute knows it's, it's work, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's accepting the fact that you're not, you're not, you're not who you thought you were and, and you're not the version of yourself that you need to be in order to do what the other person or be who the other person needs you to be. And that changes through time. You can't just be one version of yourself when you are married to someone for that long and you have a family the size of our family. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the first part of that question. Um, the second part is then raising seven children. I think that there's a, I'm gonna get a little Jewish on you, but there's, a, there's an idea in the Talmud that says that each one of your kids is, is bestowed upon you to teach you something about yourself, that you can't, you can't complete the work of being who you're supposed to be without having kids, without being a parent, and that each one shows you a different facet of something you need to work on. And I would say that now that most of my kids are halfway or all the way grown and out of the house and we're grandparents, uh, that is the truest thing that I've ever run across in my life. They absolutely, you know, I, I remember thinking myself as, you know, you go through college, you go through high school, you go through college, you go through your young adult life, and you have this image of yourself because there's no one there to challenge it. I was the coolest dude, nothing mattered me. I was just, 
you know, I was just sliding through life and Mr. Happy and everyone loved me and nothing could change that. And then you're a parent, you realize I'm actually nothing like that. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the second part of that. And then the third part answer is when is, is my experience in, in caring for children and families now for 25 years and, the, and, and how that changes you, how that changes how you see um, who you are reflected in, in the issues and problems and, and concerns that other people bring to you and the responsibility that goes with that. Um, that, that changes you. It can't, if it doesn't change you, then you're a psychopath or something's wrong with you. Um, so uh, I think that's, and then I think the last part is I went from being in medical school in the process of turning a person into a physician, not that physician, you know, it's different from being a person, being a physician, it's, it's, it's not the same, but um, you have to learn how to bring those two back together. They try to separate those two things very hard in the process of turning you into something. And then it's a lifelong uh, task to put those two back together. And they teach you how to be a great employee, but they don't teach you about going out on your own. That's something you have to learn by yourself. And so that process of, I was just, a, I thought I was, I thought I was always just going to be paid by someone else to do the best job possible. But when I realized that that wasn't possible for the rest of my career, because of my family needs and what I wanted out of life, then I had to strike it on my own. The process of learning how to do that while still doing everything else had a huge part in that also. That's great. That's tell me where that all started. So I love that answer. And I have so many questions from it, but just like, where did it all start? Did it, did you know you wanted to be a caretaker? Did you know you wanted to be in the medical? My, uh, my, my dad, my dad was an oral surgeon. Okay. All right. Uh, oral surgeons are dentists that do yep. mouth mm -hmm. surgery. And I always knew I wanted to be in medicine of some kind. My, my, my dad's dad was also an oral surgeon. So my father probably assumed that I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. He would drag me in on weekends to help him with his emergency patients. And I would be sucking pus out of people's mouths. And it was, <laughs> and then that's when I realized I did Good not want to be a, did not be a dentist, but I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I really, by the time I left high school, I really didn't think I couldn't imagine anything else that I would do. And yeah. I, I don't think that that's common. I don't think that that's necessary, by the way, for 17 or 18 year olds to know what you're going to do. But that was just me. I was always good. Science was always my best thing. I was always really fascinated by human body and physiology and, and, and all of my science classes in, in high school. And the way to express that was to be a doctor. And when you're raised in a Jewish household, if you just say you want to be a doctor, everyone's like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. You know, you're just, you met our expectations. It's just reinforced. It's just reinforced <laughs> in such an intense way. No one ever said, but Michael, haven't you thought about music? Like no one ever said right. that. No one ever said um and and i always harbored though this deep secret that i wanted to be on saturday night live but i could never say it out loud um so i figured i would just go with being a doctor um that's that's what tiktok was for that was it that's exactly right. tiktok gives me the outlet for that. i wanted to be on snl type of you know you're gonna make it happen make it happen <laughs> go ahead and then, and then of course and then of course you know when I was, I wanted, when I left high school, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to play division one college basketball and I wanted to be a doctor. One of those things, Jewish, Jewish moms loved. And one of those things, Jewish moms hate. So everyone got behind the medicine thing really hard. Right. And, uh, and I, I had to will myself essentially onto a division one team, even though I probably didn't belong. Yeah. 
And why pediatricians? How did you end up choosing kids? Great question. I essentially was going to be, I, I really started out thinking I wanted to be some kind of surgeon. Why kids? Every job, every single job I had from high school through college where someone paid me to do something was a camp counselor. I was an awesome, awesome camp. I really was. It was like, it was just the best. I was just good at it from the word go. And, and so I'm sure that that colored my interest in approaches when I was in those situations, because relating to young people and being in that mode was for me very easy. And when you, and in medical school, how people, a lot of people end up choosing what they want to do is unless they had a parent or really like, I want to be a urologist because that's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the, how you get along with the people in each specialty as you rotate through. And I just very naturally gelled with all the pediatric types because, you know, and yeah, then I got, listen, yeah. Yeah, listen, I was married by end of first year of med school. I had my first child by fourth year of med school. And so that stuff resonated with me even more because I was also a parent at the time I was choosing that. So that's how I ended up in, in pediatrics. Let's be honest. You're still a camp counselor. Dude, I would, <laughs> I would love to be, I would love to take off the summer and just go be camp doctor. If, <laughs> if I could pay my mortgage doing that, I would 100% do it every summer, but it doesn't work. All right, I want to go. I want to go back to mental health because I know you, yeah. you, you talked to us earlier about this. Sundays are your mental health days where you're helping. Yeah. Patients so well, that- what, during COVID, I'll, I'll elaborate. During COVID, my office was no exception, but pediatricians' offices really suffered. Um, everything was closed down. Schools were closed down. We had no patients. Um, I my practice, I almost lost the business. I mean, it truly, a pediatric practice runs on volume. And if you don't have enough kids coming in, you can't pay the people that work here and you can't pay the rent, you can't pay yourself. So I was very close. But honestly, if it wasn't for like the PPP loan and some of those SBA loans would have shut, the doors would have had to close. Hmm. Um, But what I, so what I did do and pre-COVID, the adolescent mental health issues in this country were going on full steam well before COVID started. And I had thought very hard about what I wanted to do about it. And because clearly trying to service kids' mental health needs in the context of a busy pediatric day is impossible. You can't every, you know, you can't do it with a 10-minute appointment. Mm -hmm. And I decided my wife helped also was very instrumental in getting this off the ground, is we needed to actually do something, create something new in order to really make an impact in the mental health, adolescent mental health space. And Douglas County suffering greatly um, where we were, more, more than most places. So I took the time. I actually did a fellowship program in adolescent mental health. I, I, that included um, in-person time, online time. I got certified in addiction, um, addiction medicine. And I uh, did a, spent many, many months really just remaking myself to really understand and be someone who can actually make an impact here in the adolescent psychiatry space. And then in January of 2020, no, 2021, sorry, we opened the Way Center and the Way Center is our adolescent mental health clinic, which we, 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 we do, we, we see patients here in the office, but it's a separate schedule. I see patients in the evenings, like after the regular clinic hours and on Sundays. Mm. And we do adolescent anxiety, depression, um, uh, addiction, drug addiction, especially cannabis, which is the biggest addiction issue in Colorado and has a lot to do with all the other mental health problems, truthfully. Um, 
And we were very busy uh, initially. I think we were booked out six months, but it, insurance companies do not pay you for your time. And as much as we wanted to help as many people as we could, I couldn't continue and continue to take insurance because it wasn't able to, to keep the lights on, the doors open for the amount of time I was spending. And then we, so now we do straight um, fee for service and, and it works better for me. I don't think we're reaching as much, as many numbers of kids as we could. And we're trying to reconcile how to do that. Right. What do you think is the, I mean, I think this, this just spans across all age groups, right? But so oh, it does, it does, but it definitely impacts, kids. it definitely impacts age 11 and up disproportionately. Mm-hmm. And it definitely impacts boys and girls very differently. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, again, you know, what are the, the biggest things I, I'm curious about the cannabis converse, comment that you made? I would love to learn a little bit more about that because yeah. you've got two bipolar perspectives on that. Um, sure. and, and, you know, tell me a little about like, again, what predominant issues are you seeing in boys versus girls that 11 and up that, and, and what can we do to like right. lend a hand to, to help so, out when we see kids in those ages? So the, the, the first thing to know about it, if there's no one single thing and there's no one single answer, mm-hmm. but what, what I think is that the adolescent brain has always been the adolescent brain. It's a dynamic, developing, volatile thing that's mm-hmm. in rapid growth and development. So, so just like a baby developing in the womb, that's why, that's why you're so careful when, when, a, when a woman is, is carrying an infant, they're so careful of not exposing or creating an environment where that development can be altered. Well, we have to have that same idea about the, the adolescent brain. It's extremely vulnerable because it's in a state of rapid growth and development. And so when, so the adolescent brain has always been the same in terms of its neurocognitive emotional flux and change and development, but the environment now that that brain is exposed to is way more toxic than it was in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Starting, I mean, a lot of the studies in Pew and CDC and and, and all the organizations that look at this are really, you know, since 2011, the situation has changed. Um, and it, it expresses itself differently between boys and girls, but it is, it, its issues all spring from the same place is the environment now in that, that that brain is sort of dealing and processing is so different than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and it's different from a te- our relationship with technology. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. There is zero doubt. And the Surgeon General even came out and, and said it, that social media and our relationship with technology has a huge impact on how this looks. Mm. Um, and the problem is, is that most of these kids are being raised by parents who are Generation X age, are the people who have teenagers now. And we have no experience with this. This was just dropped on us. We had no background in our own lives to compare it to. Pong does not compare. So, <laughs> um, so, it's, it, so that is part of it. Our parenting approach was not fast enough to incorporate all the stuff. And once again, just like COVID, so much we didn't know. And so now we have this thing that we have to deal with and have, a, have parenting understanding around and how it affects our kids. And we knew none of it, but, but now we're understanding it more and we have to change. There's, so there's the parenting piece around it. There's the tech piece and the social media piece. There's also the fact that so many Gen X parents were, were not parented in an emotionally stable and intelligent way. And so we lack that emotional vocabulary on how to help our kids. And we just fall back on what we were given 
But what we were given, listen, when you were a parent in the 40s and then 50s and the 60s and the 70s, 80s, it all worked fine because the environment was pretty much the same, even though, you know, with, with a few changes. And then the environment radically changed and we are still using those tools that our parents gave us and they sucked. So it ha that had to change and it didn't change fast enough and we have to work on it. Uh, and then you add can illegal cannabis has had a huge impact for the, and the bipolar thing on cannabis is simply a lack of understanding of the science and a lack of information. Cannabis, I will completely acknowledge when you're in your 30s and 40s, use of cannabis for whatever you want to use it for, whether it's recreational, I'm, I'm, I'm subtracting dysfunctional addictive use because that right. always is problematic. Right. Doesn't it, it's it is it's organic it's natural it's way safer than alcohol all that stuff I I acknowledge. What is different is when you add that to a growing, developing, dynamic neurocognitive environment, mm -hmm. it's horribly damaging, and you can't apply one to the other. There are two totally different things, and it has wreaked havoc on the mental health in Colorado. There's a reason why Colorado leads the nation, and it seems counterintuitive. Why does Colorado lead the nation in adolescent suicidality? adolescent depression, ER visits for mental health. That seems counterintuitive. We have veil. Our kids can, it's you sunny. sunshine. Was that? Yeah. <laughs> you, right. sunshine. you would think Cleveland should lead the world, the country, right? right? Why, why doesn't Cleveland, Ohio top the country? A lot of it is the, the impact of legal cannabis and who's using it, which is high school. Mm. All right. So I, I think I've told you this. I'm writing a book for parents on college yeah. recruit. Okay. And I've found myself, the first chapter is about commitment. And I said, there's a difference. There's a student athlete commitment, and then there's a parent commitment. Yeah. And I found myself talking to parents because I've worked with 7,000 families, not even close to what you've done, but I've worked with 7,000 families over the last 10 years to get their kid recruited. Yeah. And I find myself writing, one of your commitments is you have to be present. You have to be unafraid to say, I love you. I've got your back. I, what do you need today? Let me see your homework. Let's sit down and talk about what your day went through. What, what has happened in our world where those things aren't being done at home? And how do we get parents to understand how important those things are? I, I well, listen, that can go a couple of ways because that can, as you have sure have seen that, that idea can slide into snow plowing and helicopter. Right. Yeah, it's, and, it, you're right. And, you're exactly right. And so what, and, and, and I think that what has happened is uh, our, our, and once again, I think you're dealing mostly with Generation X parents, are you not? Yeah. Parents in their mid, late 40s and 50s. Yeah. Where that idea, they don't know how to separate that. So it becomes, and it becomes, I think, I've seen so many situations of competitive high school athlete kids where the parents are now enmeshed so far in it that it's affecting the happiness of the kid. The kid no longer gets any joy out of the process because their parent has stolen it mm -hmm. from like making it all about themselves yep. because they're so wrapped up in it. I mean, look, I know it's a different world, but in the eighties, I, I did it myself. My parents could care less. They came to some games. They're like, that's very nice. <laughs> very nice. But I'm the one that found the camps. I'm the, you know, it was different. There was no emphasis on, on AAU the same way it was now. There was not as, you know, it was all about summer camps and your high school season. It wasn't, everything was not about the AAU. See, I'm talking basketball now. Right. Um, but I did, I'm the one who reached, I did it myself. Right. I knew where I wanted to go. My dad literally didn't give a shit about it at all. Sorry to curse on your podcast, but I mean, no, that's, no, that's good. Didn't, he didn't care. 
And it was, you know, it, it was a pretty healthy situation. And I, I, I figured it out and I did it myself. So, but the problem is, is that when these kids are now, their parents are living and dying by it. It's not a healthy thing when a child feels that they are now responsible for their parents' happiness. That is an extremely dysfunctional situation. Hmm. I, I agree. And, I, and, I, and, in the ment- and as far as another impact on the mental health situation, that, and it's not just with sports, just getting into the, the right college has become the race to nowhere. What's the, from your perspective, and I know it's not a one size fits all, but what seems to be the predominant advice you give to parents over and over where you feel like sometimes I'm on a recording slip, you know, where you're, it's, was it listen? Is it pay attention? What is, what is it been for you in that space? And again, where you- I, I, So the advice I give to parents, so parenting, we're talking about parenting high school age kids, right? Yes, yes. I think the first one is understand where your own anxieties and issues are now intersecting with your, with this, uh-huh. with what you're doing and how that's impacting how you're approaching your, your kids. Uh-huh. Because so much of it is because of our own unresolved anxiety and, or, or issues and, and not letting, and, and separating from our kids. Our, you know, our children are all their own people. They're with their own way of doing things. And you cannot force your child to be someone who they're not. But you can, but but you can make yourself a safe place where you rejoice in what they do and how they do it, and give them the space where they can tell you and talk to you, and, and where you're a place where that stuff can come out instead of they're afraid because they're afraid of your reaction. Um, that's 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 a great place to start. I, I I've been using the analogy, you know, ET with the the Reese's pieces, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. You, you, you can't force feed your kid but you can give them little hints you can give them little little trails Uh, to get where they want hundred percent it's not that it's it's not that you should allow your child to to carve the path and you just stay silent and you're just there never to die but it is a subtle balance and in fact in i'll go back to the jewish stuff again in the in talmudic stuff it's called planting and building meaning parenting is the simultaneous accomplishment of two parallel processes Planting is how you give over values and and emotion and and support. And you do that through how you conduct yourself, how you model for them, how you discuss these issues verbally when they come up, how you take advantage of those of those connecting times when you're when you're together. You know, we have, you know, we're stuck together 24 hours every week with no technology or nothing disturbing us. So we have lots of opportunity for that. Family meals are a great place where that happens. And that's what, and that, and you're planting seeds that will take root and grow, but they will grow and express themselves based on the individual kid. And at the same time, you're building, building our routines and structure in the household, in, in, in how you run your home, that your kids learn kind of supports the growth of that vine. So you have to do both. Uh, if you, if you, if, if you're, if you, if you just focus on building, which is discipline and authoritarianism and, 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 and limits and boundaries, then your, your kid is not, they're going to be vulnerable to getting, well, how do I think about these things from just anywhere and expressing that in a way that may not be consistent with what you or how you want to build that. Right. And if you, if you only do that part, the emotional piece, but you, but you don't have any structure or guardrails around it it's like a grapevine it can't really grow successfully it kind of lies on the ground it doesn't it can't go upward um so it's a balance and so you can't be 
and it's a balance. And, and, and as I'm fond of telling my audience, we're all messing it up. No one's getting it right. <laughs> we're all screwing it up every day, but that's okay. You just have to keep showing up yeah. and learning about yourself and learning how to do better. It's okay to apologize to your children. I do it all the time. And, and that's how it, and you can't you can't hold yourself to some impossible standard that you see on social media, and you and, and you have to expect that you're going to, you know, bump against the, the guardrails and learn how to get it down the middle. Through time. What's the, what's the Talmud? Five thousand years old. Three thousand, two thousand five hundred, or three thousand years old. Isn't it amazing how yeah, how, how the message translates yeah, centuries crazy. later? They they knew a lot. They were pretty smart dudes. Pretty. Amazing. And they all had smart lives. It's just that they didn't. Yes, they didn't write down the words of their wives, but they they all used it. I always like to say, like the big fat Greek wedding, you know, she he may be the head of the house, but I'm the neck and the neck. Exactly. Yeah. The head. And I was like, brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I Doc, I want we we've got a little rapid fire we're gonna throw at you here in a little bit, but I, I want I want you to be able to I think the the significant thing that whether you live in the meadows or whatever, you live in Castle Rock or not, I think what you're doing on TikTok and Instagram as it pertains to mental health, a post-COVID world, I, I find it loving and caring and fun and humorous. I love following you because I, I, even days when you're talking about stuff, I, I already know what he's talking about. It's how you're portraying that message. What, what have you seen that impact be? I mean, you've got 17,000 followers on Instagram. What What is, and, and TikTok, what is that? I got 100, they had 120 now. I mean, it's pretty small. It's small potatoes in the whole world of TikTok. No, but a lot for me. what have you seen that impact? It allows you to be a doctor for so many more people where you don't have the office hours to provide that. What does that impact look like using social media? Uh, yeah, I think, well, it, like, look, I, the impact I see is just in the office. I mean, there may be other impact that I can't see because yeah. you never know how you're going to impact people in other places. I, I, can, I can see how the impact goes when I read the comments. Some of the videos that got really big, you know, several million views, you can see that people are, are expressing like, no one, I never heard this. This is exactly my issue. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. I needed to hear at the time. It made a huge difference in how I think about this. And I thought I was alone in this, or I thought I was the only one struggling with this. Mm. So I think normalizing the fact that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to make mistakes, that you can't hold yourself to an impossible standard and that we're all just here trying to get it right. And no one hits the mark. Um, is has provided a lot of just comfort. People feel way more comfortable and a lot less anxious about what they're doing. In the office, it allows it allows people, I think, to you know, you only have ten minutes together, right? Now, I mean, you know, when you come in and see me, just because of the way an office works, is you, you really get five or ten minutes. So it's yeah. a way of being able to expand the discussion and 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 take on topics that we just don't have time. To really delve into when people come and just see me face to face. Yeah, well, I'm I'm thankful that you're doing it, and I'm I love that you know we just talked about how the negativity of social media and what that's how that's impacting kids. The fact that you're using it as a significant positive impact is 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 fantastic, and I'm I'm so glad you you have that thought process and you're thoughtful about what you're putting out, and so I encourage everybody to read it. Beth, do you have any more follow up before we run into? I think we're ready for rapid fire. So All right. Doc, we, speed, speed round. Speed round. We, we want you to have fun with us, Doc. So we'll, we'll let okay. Beth get started with the first question. All right. So what job would you do if you weren't doing what you're doing? Stand-up comedian. 
I, of course. I, I was going to guess that after our earlier part of the conversation. I, 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 I was the, when you opened the sentence, I was just waiting for you to finish so I could say, stand with me. <laughs> I love it. And camp counselor during the day. And camp counselor in the summers and stand up. <laughs> at night, you stand up. At the day, you're camp counseling. Dude, the it. material writes itself. I just have to write <laughs> it, it down. <laughs> what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Um, I would say that the skills that you, that, that you really need to focus on aren't about your physicality or your accomplishment, but your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand at 21 about understanding how to accept criticism, how to, how to change and accept change in a way that's positive. Those things were that, but of course, when you're 21, you're not challenged with any of that. So you wouldn't be able to hear that anyway, but right. I would try. Right. Yeah. I'm in the HR field and there's been a big swish, but I've always been pushing. I was like, I, I get smart people, but the EQ I feel is going to way outweigh itself. And now yeah. there are all this articles and a lot of topics sure. about EQ, 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 pay attention to the room, like pay attention yeah. to people. And, and I had to learn a lot of those lessons in a painful way. Yeah. So it's better it. to learn them easier. It's Wisdom, time, looking back, yeah. you know, hindsight 2020. So tell me what favorite book or podcast that you're recently listening to and, and that is significant to you. You know, books, I mostly, <laughs> I use books as escape. So I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. So I'm not going to, I'm yeah. embarrassed. And a lot of them were recommended by my high school age daughter. So I'm not <laughs> going to reveal the reading list. But uh, in terms of things not in that category, I really read, the, the most impactful one was a, a really scientific compendium called Cannabis and the Developing Brain, which completely oh. changed my understanding of, of, of how those two things interact and why cannabis is a completely bipolar discussion, depending on your age, which is not well understood by the public. Um, and podcasts, you know, I listened to a whole mishmash. I love the Huberman podcast because I, I love his approach on on this, all of the great science around self-optimization, which I'm really into for myself now that I'm 53. And um, I listen to the Happiness Lab a lot. And I, I like listen, that one, yeah. yeah. And I listen to The Art of Manliness. I really like that one a lot. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. Um, not that I don't like it, I have, it's just not a regular thing and uh i listened to smartless with jason bateman i love smartless. i just <laughs> so good i love it yeah they've got um, a, they did the hbo and, tour if you haven't seen it yet and then honestly more and more and more when i'm i, I drive you know because i commute from greenwood village to castle rock six days a week i mostly listen to like my jackson five music channel more than i more than <laughs> i love that that's awesome. um but but i do a lot of audiobooks i listen to the happiness principle with Jonathan Haidt, where he does the analogy of the rider on the elephant, understanding how mm -hmm. your emotional brain impacts. And, uh, and, the, and, I impact, and I also read his other book, which is, oh my gosh, the, the one he wrote about, oh, the coddling of the American mind, which I thought was amazing. Um, and I listened to my favorite book that I give to all new parents, or I recommend to all new parents now, which is Emily Oster's book, Crib Sheet, which really jives with my understanding of philosophy about how you know, there's way too many um, 
everything, all the decisions you make about what you do with your kids, especially when they're young, seem to be very black and white and this impossible perfection that you, that you can't ever really attain. But a lot of that is a, is a smokescreen and really so much more of how you feel you want to do things and what works for you is just as important. So uh, that book for me has been really impactful recently. That's great. How about a movie? You got a go-to movie when you're feeling down? Or- yeah, my, my kids hate my movies. Um, I, growing up in the 80s, dude, if any John Hughes film just yeah. yes. gets, me a, gets me a little verklempt. Um, so, you know, I will, I will jump to Ferris Bueller's Day Off <laughs> on, a, on a heartbeat. Um, and in fact, you know, my son who lives in Chicago now, I never fail. There's a Ferris... There's a Ferris Bueller kiosk at the top of the Chrysler building that, that I don't know, it's, it changes name, but you can buy shirts like Abe, Abe Froman, Sausage right. King of Chicago. <laughs> you know, that, I'll do that. Um, my other favorite movie, which I, I think I could watch constantly is Saving Private Ryan, because mm-hmm. I love, I love the commentary on leadership. Yeah, mm-hmm. how great. That, that to me is, you know, how I, I get a lot out of that just from, watching Tom Hanks in that yep. role at, in leadership. And I, and it, I learned a lot from that all the time. Yeah. I love that. What about food? Go-to comfort food? I mean, that is more cultural. Uh, you know, we're, uh, yeah. Eastern European Jews cook a certain way. And, um, you know, we eat a certain way, especially on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. which are kind of go-to. So, uh, uh, we eat this stuff. We eat this thing called chowant, which we start on Friday, but we don't eat until Saturday. It's like this slow cooked sort of Amazing. stew, and you put short rib beef in it, and onion, and garlic, and beans, oh. and rice, and spices, and it cooks for like eighteen hours. Oh. Uh, and we eat that every Saturday afternoon. Uh, my wife makes her every week makes her own challah and makes her own chicken soup, which oh. I have yet to get tired of after thirty years. Um, so those are kind of the, and the rest and the rest of the week, she makes me eat like now that I'm 53, I don't have much of a say. So I eat a lot of, <laughs> I eat a lot of things I wouldn't have normally eaten during the average week now. And it, you know, it's, it's very, it's very vegetable based. How about that? I had my kale smoothie this morning, doc. I'm with I you. I can't tolerate kale. I, just, I have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> so, drawing the line of kale. I love it. I, I, I love it. I've learned to love it. I, yeah, there's, I can learn, I can learn to love a lot of things, but kale's not on the list right now. As long as I get to blend it in the blender, I love it. Right, exactly. Yeah. All right. If you were president for the day, would there be one thing you would implement? If you had one day to make a huge change, what would it be? That healthcare is not tied to your employment. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Period. And whether that looks like socialized medicine or not, I don't know, but that if we could uncouple people's healthcare from their employment, it would dramatically change how we handle healthcare in this country, whatever that looks like after that. Yes. All right. For anyone listening to this podcast, what's the one piece of advice that, that you feel you've received that was really significant that you continue to pass along? Wow. On any topic? doesn't matter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's better to be happy than be right. Mm, that's... That's really good. That's amazing. <laughs> coming it's from so a doc. simple, and yet it's yeah. and then and then the sec and then the second one, which comes from my grandfather, blessed memory, is that old age is old age is a high price to pay for maturity. <laughs> I love that. That's all. Man, that is true to the T, isn't it? Um, 
Doc has been a whole lot of fun and I've learned a ton. I know Beth has too. Um, hopefully this wasn't too painful for you. No, nah, it was great. I liked it. Good. Yeah, we, we, we really appreciate it. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, we encourage you um, uh, to follow Doc. Um, Pete's so, uh, on, Instagram, on Instagram, it's Dr. Michael Malovsky. It's also Pediatrics at the Meadows. On TikTok, it's Dr. Michael Malovsky or Dr. Mike M. And uh, I think those are the main socials. I think there's each of those have Facebook pages, but no one under 50 looks at Facebook anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's definitely the impression that I get. Yeah. Um, so you, have a, you guys have a Twitter account? I don't do Twitter. I, I, had, to, I had to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. I'm with Kale. You first line's at Kale. And then you can go down from there. Yeah. Yeah. We promise you, if you follow Doc, you will not be disappointed. His guidance is great and you'll leave with a, a giggle and, then, and a laugh. And then if you if you live in the area, my practice is pediatrics at the meadows. I also run a concierge house call service called Chicken Soup Denver. Mm. So you can find that online where I I I can certainly provide pediatric services at your home or anywhere you would like that's been going on for quite a long time um and the way center is our adolescent mental health clinic waycenterdenver.com any of our listeners ever say again that there's not enough time in the day to do what you want to do uh i think doc just told you there's more time out there uh, i don't know it's how amazing you how you'll be inspired by college tuition bills <laughs> <laughs> whatever it does it for you there's enough time whatever whatever it is yeah. whatever whatever lights the fire you know. exactly well thanks for all you do doc thanks for being you and we we appreciate you more than you know so best wishes to you and your family and i'm, I'm yeah, sure we'll be you. seeing each other soon thank you for having me on and happy coming up father's day you too sir all right take care thank have you have so a great much. day thanks doc Bye. enjoy well matt that interview was impressive. I mean, Dr. Mike is amazing. What? I mean, at the end of that, I literally was feeling like I am wasting my minutes and my days with all the things that he's out there trying to do to help people and the advice and the passion that he puts into everything he's doing. I, you know, it's just a good, like you can do whatever you want to do. There's time for it. If you, yeah. if you prioritize it, I mean, what an amazing man. Just, just a rock of a human being and you know, Karen and I, you know, we've, you know, Cade, Cade broke his collarbone a year and a half ago, two years ago. And we were just, he broke it at school. He fell and, you know, there's a big bump on it. And we walked in, he, he laughed. He goes, it's about the sixth one I've seen today, you know, and, and we were worried about the bump. And he goes, in six weeks, it's going to suck back into the bone. You won't even know there's a bump there, you know, and COVID and illness and doesn't matter. He's just, he's made us feel calm. He's made us feel confident. He's taught us just how to breathe as parents. And, you know, with his experiences as a parent, as a doctor, and he's, he's taken all that and then his humanism, and he's just shared it with anybody that'll listen. And he's so funny and he's so creative and he's innovative and um, man, oh man, I'm there's pragmatic. not a problem. He's not attacking. Yeah. And I love, I love that, you know, one of his answers was stand up comedian, because I also think it especially dealing with all the things and the trauma and the parents worry. And again, yep. on the back of COVID, the things that he's had to deal with, and that's just a slice of the last two to three years. I mean, over 25 years, he's been doing this. Just, you have to be able to have a sense of humor, but also to relieve and alleviate parents 
help kids feel better. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's like the perfect combination of all our pediatricians. Pediatricians need a little bit more of what he brings to the table. Yeah. He, he, he's fully encompassed. His empathy is so big, yes. you know, and his compassion is so big that he's taken you and I have criticized social media. Neither one of us are big social media people, but to see what he's doing with it to be significant and make an impact on the world and say, you know what? I can't, I want to help every single kid. I want to help every single parent. I can't do it. There's only one of me. So I'm going to use social media to spread that word and to talk and get people laughing and get people thinking. So I, it's, it's it's just impressive. Yeah. Amazing. Good stuff. Yeah. So let's, uh, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed Dr. Michael as much as we did. Um, remember, you can follow him at Peds at the Meadows or Dr. Malobsky um, or Michael Malobsky on Instagram and TikTok. Um, we'd love to get your feedback on all of our podcasts, any of our interviews, any of our guests. Uh, if you have questions you want us to be asking, things you want us to consider, advice, we'd love to hear it. You can email us at significant for the number four, letter U, at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Apple or Spotify. We're on both platforms. Um, we'd love to hear anything you'd like to say. Um, don't for click, forget to click the sub subscribe button. Um, we're trying to post new episodes every Monday. If there's an episode that doesn't post on Monday, we're sorry. We've had a couple incidences with Apple where uh, we couldn't get um, an episode to publish properly. But typically on Mondays, we'll be live with a new guest. And uh, we just appreciate you listening. And we hope you're having as much fun as we are. Absolutely. And with that, don't let life happen to you. Make it happen. We hope your week is filled with significance. Thanks so much.